the government and society has put the Facebooks and Apples and Amazons and Googles and Twitters of, of the world under the microscope. As I kind of think about what we predicted and as we came into 2020, how do we do on a scorecard in relation to the bigger trends that we've seen this year? And we got half the things right and half the things totally wrong. <laughs> we, we, we never saw it coming. When you flash forward to 2020, right, coronavirus happens and it's an election year and everything surrounding George Floyd and, and the protests and all of that comes to the fore. So it's a period of complete social upheaval. I, I saw in one report that this has been one of the few times in American history where you've had basically three black swan events happen all at the same time. What was really intriguing to me was one opinion in particular, which was the paramount consent decrees. And so on May 3rd, 1948, was when he authored one of his famous opinions that became one of the most influential court cases within the history of, of the film industry. John, did I miss anything in that introduction? No, I, 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 I think you captured that pretty well. Thank you so much. I, I, I know you're an awesome dad, and you also love dogs, so <laughs> I was yes, going to write yes, that. Yes, that, that too. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Loud and Clear, a podcast for those who give a shit about advertising. This podcast intends to open up a conversation about the marketing and advertising business that hopefully is uncomfortable but inspiring to hear. Today, we want to deliver an episode that shakes the system and promotes innovation and new thinking. We want to take a step back in time in hope to leap forward into the future and understand what it looks like. To do this, we invited John Stalley. John is a digital strategist on his fifth year at the Richards Group, where he helps lead the digital strategy for Charles Schwab and Orkin Pest Control. I can tell you that John is one of the smartest and most enjoyable guys to work with. He spent most of his time thinking of consumer journey analysis, customer experience strategy, and how clients can elevate their brand experience along the path to and through purchase. He has been a frequent contributor to our agency's annual trends report. Around this topic, he recently shared a presentation that sparked the idea to bring him to loud and clear and share with us his vision of the future. Tell us a little bit about the presentation in general. Let's start there. Sure. Within our digital strategy group at the Richards Group, we, we have a status meeting every week where one digital or social strategist gets the floor for 30 to 40 minutes to share their point of view as a strategist, what they're seeing out in the marketplace, where the things might be going and what the implications are for our clients. And so knowing that the October, November timeframe every year is when we as the Richards Group start to think about meaningful and impactful digital and social trends for the coming 
year, I just thought, hey, this this might be an opportunity for us to talk through what's happened in 2020. What, what and, a year. Uh, yeah. Has, has anything happened in 2020 so far? For me, as I thought back on this year, in my lifetime, never have I experienced so many different shocks to our culture, to the ways that we live and work and play and kind of fundamentally relate to each other, I think. And so it really prompted me to just pause and reflect and think, what did we predict over the past five years? And from there, what what actually happened? Finally, what does it mean for us as marketers and strategists moving forward and, and how we might think a little bit differently about trends for our clients? I thought that was so cool. I mean, I think we always are looking forward and trying to predict what's going to happen. But I think the exercise you did and the way you start your presentation, looking back and bucketing and putting into a theme because that's something that evidently we did not did as a group on purpose. But looking back, you see some very evident themes. Would you like to talk about how you bucket those and what kind of were the themes that you found? Sure. So I I probably spent at least a full day reading through the past trends that we've written over the past five years. So every year we have 10 big meaty trends that a range of people from the Richards Group contribute to, whether it's uh, digital strategists, brand planners, brand managers. We have folks on our media teams, as well as our decision sciences teams, uh, contribute to the report. So it was actually just really nice to kind of take a trip down memory lane and, and see how all of the minds at the Richards Group were thinking about kind of the digital landscape. And so as I look back after reading through all the trends report, I bucketed them 10 main categories. And again, this was just kind of my point of view on things. There are certainly other ways you one could have done this, but the 10 buckets that I basically worked through, there was a political bucket, which really came to rise, I guess, within the 2019 to 2020 trends report. Mm-hmm. There was a bucket related to inclusion and how brands and marketers can embrace communities like the Hispanic community. Francisco, you actually wrote one of the trends in that bucket. Uh, there was one about yeah. interacting and engaging with kind of the LGBTQ community and how uh, you know brands can actually kind of make meaningful brand creative and experiences for that community. From there, there were trends re- or topics related to authenticity, marketing ethics, how what the role of brand building is and how it can go beyond just creating community communications towards actual brand actions. And then from there, there was trends related to the rise of e-commerce, new mediums such as augmented reality, virtual reality. There's new technology, new media tech trends. And then the last bucket that we had that we kind of had the most thinking around was how can brands, in light of all of this, really think about how to adapt their marketing strategies and tactics to be as effective as possible amidst this changing landscape. It's really a wide range of topics and thinking. As you said, bringing together such a multidisciplinary team with these ideas up and the thinking and looking forward. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I think we have a pretty good batting average coming over the past five years. We've predicted a trend within the e-commerce space and we've seen it through to fruition. We've predicted trends related to how brands are going to have to kind of navigate things from a socio-political thing and that happened. But as I kind of think about what we predicted and as we came into 2020, how do we do on a scorecard in relation to the bigger trends that we've seen this year? And we got half the things right and half the things totally wrong. <laughs> we, we, we never saw it coming, right? And so 
for within the presentation I gave, I, I talked about in terms of the trends we've seen this year, we've seen the whole rise of brands creating touchless experiences, mm-hmm. whether it's Domino's creating touchless delivery experiences, or imagine any retail experience you have today. There is some meaningful touchless component because mm-hmm. brands right, are, are trying to instill confidence in consumers, that it's safe to shop, that it's safe to venture out and experience their brands again, and albeit in, in new and in different ways. Uh, so that was one trend. Another trend, it's starting to peak this year, and I think it will continue to peak moving forward, but just the whole tech lash uh, mm-hmm. where uh, the government and society has put the Facebooks and Apples and Amazons and Googles and Twitters of, of the world under the microscope. And big tech. They've done, yeah, big tech for different reasons, right? Depending on what political party you associate with. For some of the conservative, more right-leaning audiences, it's been about their concern that big tech is silencing conservative voices. But then on the more left-leaning side, you, you see the concern being in relation to the accuracy of information and harmful and hateful content. And, and I, th- I think across both sides, they share s- some of those views. But you know, we, we've certainly seen Congress take these things a, a little bit more seriously, particularly with the recent hearing with Bezos and Sundar Pichai of Google, Tim Cook, Mark Zuckerberg. And I believe they actually recently subpoenaed the, the big social platforms again to kind of bring them back in and uh, see what happens there. But so that was another one. It's and crazy. That- I mean, not to make this political, but like the way the two realities based on an algorithm, you can really live in two different worlds, right? But yeah, it's crazy. Totally agree. And for those who haven't seen it, The Social Dilemma is a good follow-up to that idea. It's a new documentary out on Netflix, Netflix. but that's a trend that we've written about in our trends reports. And so far, it seems to be a a trend that has come to fruition and there's still more to be seen there. But uh, the last few here we've seen just with social distancing and depending on how the coronavirus has spread throughout the country, entertainment and mass public events has not been a thing for much of 2020. So in lieu of that, we've seen uh, brands and artists get really creative in terms of how they bring their formerly big public events into digital channels. We, we've seen Travis Scott on Twitch host one of the biggest live streamed concert events ever. There have been other examples as well. So that that was one trend. Another one kind of in relation to that was virtual game night where you've seen friends and family members try to block off some time to just, you know, come together socially on online gaming platforms. Mm -hmm. Another one was in relation to social activism. That's kind of been a a trend that, at least from my point of view, it's come to the fore over the past several years and and really reached a fever pitch over the past year. And we've, we've seen brands like Nike with their Black Lives Matter campaign. We've seen brands like Patagonia with their more environmentally focused campaigns and brands really taking a, a pretty strong uh, Ben and Jerry's. Stand. Yeah, Ben and Jerry's as well on issues that, that matter not only to their brand it, itself, but to the consumers that support those, those brands. So um, and then the last one was remote learning, remote working, re- remote, pretty much insert anything you want want to at this point. And so I thought about those trends and 
kind of compared them to what we predicted. I basically thought, okay, well, what happened here? As you think back over the past five years, it's been a, a period in, and I'll just focus this on the United States because that's the market that I at least know. Well, and a lot of the trends that happen in the yeah. U.S. normally you know, the world follows a lot. So it's a good, True. it's a good benchmark to, to check. You know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with that. But it's been a period that's been marked by economic expansion, a healthy workforce. But at the same time, we've seen uh, increasing socio-political unrest for a couple of different reasons. There's been, you know, since I believe it was 2000. 11, when the Occupy Wall Street movement started to come to the fore. Since then, there have been kind of increasing campaigns related to income inequality, to social inequality. And alongside of that, there have been brands, right, that have taken stands across varying issues. And so when you flash forward to 2020, right, coronavirus happens and it's an election year and everything surrounding George Floyd and, and the protests and all of that uh, comes to the fore. So it's a period of complete social upheaval. I, I saw in one report that this has been uh, one of the few times in American history where you've had basically three black swan events happen all at the same time, right? So it's it's been a pretty kind of destabilizing year across big facets of society. And so the takeaway for me as I thought about, okay, how can we do a better job of predicting what trends will matter in 2021 was basically that I think as marketers, we certainly need to understand the digital and social landscape. We need to know what's happening with Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google, the major streaming providers. We need to know where people are spending their time. But I think we need to keep pushing and keep taking things one step further by looking outside of purely the digital marketing landscape. And so that mm -hmm. in my presentation is what I tried to do. It was, uh, granted, we only had, I guess, 30 or 40 minutes to, to talk about it. There's certainly other areas to be considered, but the three areas that I examined were in relation to the socio-political environment, what might happen in 2021 that could impact how we think about brand building within the digital and social media landscape. The second area was the medical area. What do we think is going to happen in terms of the fundamental health of mm -hmm. our culture and the United States? And then the third area was kind of in relation to the economy, but it kind of also overlapped with kind of the, the political environment as well. So I'll, I'll pause there in, in case you have any. No, no, no. I think, it's, I think it's great. And now, like, I think we've done a journey from the past to what's happening today. I think it's very interesting to see how you, you know, touchless experiences. It's almost like we've been training the last couple of years for a moment like this, you know, setting up e-commerce, uh, people moving into streaming. Like, it's almost like, Man, if, that, if this would have happened 10 years ago, we didn't have mm -hmm. Zoom uh, or we didn't have FaceTime, right? right? Um, right. But I thought it was really interesting of your presentation, how you started. It was intriguing to me where you were going when you started with this Supreme Court Associate Justice uh, yeah. William O. Douglas. And then you tied, you know, you went through the digital trends and then what's happening? Because at the end, 
a lot of what I see you talking about is how we consume content and how we interact with each other. And you saw a very cool way of bridging those things. Can you talk a little bit about that and what yeah, you're thinking there? Sure. So, and I'll tell our, our dear audience a little bit more about William O. Douglas because we mentioned him a few times now. So this, uh, William O. Douglas was a Supreme Court justice. He served on the Supreme Court between 1939, 1975. And over the course of his career, he became known for a number of things, whether it was his strong advocacy for First Amendment rights, for the environment, and, and actually to this day, he holds the, the record for the most opinions written as a Supreme Court justice. What was really intriguing to me was one opinion in particular, which was uh, the paramount consent decrees. And so uh, on May 3rd, 1948, was when he authored one of his famous opinions that uh, became one of the most influential court cases within the history of, of the film industry. And the reason for that is because at the time, the major film studios, so think Paramount, Fox, Universal, it was Warner Brothers, there was, there was one uh, called RKO and, and Lowe's, yeah, Fox as well. They had a complete monopoly over the film industry. Not only were they producing the movies, but they owned all of the movie theaters. And what the Supreme Court found was that these film producers had created an intricate system of sequential and non-overlapping theatrical runs for their films so that they could basically squeeze every penny out of consumers for the films that they were creating. And so okay. and as a reflection, just, just to put things into context, as a reflection of what you're saying, back then, if we think with our audience, is you know, film and newspaper and radio was a lot of how that content, news, information was distributed, which is very different to how it is today. But okay. I think I think the change that the, what you're talking about now, the consequences that we're going to see today are, are very interesting. So just I just wanted to put that in context for the audience so they so they think yeah. about it. And, so there are basically four channels. So you had uh, TV, radio, newspaper, and movie theaters. That that was those were the tools that marketers had to to work with in terms of getting their message out. And so he said, okay, film producers, no more. And so that was the end of that. The studios pulled off their theaters. And, and that's why to this day, you, you have theaters like AMC and Regal, Cineplex, all, all those. What happened though, and, and why I dove into the story of William O. Douglas and, and this law was because in August, that ruling was struck down because the, the industry, like, yeah, August of this year, 2020, that, that ruling was struck down and the main reason, right, was because the media landscape has completely changed from the time when that ruling was made. As a marketer and as a strategist, I thought, oh, that, that's really interesting. What is going to happen to the world of, of movie theaters? And so from there, what I did was I, I looked at, okay, well, what's going to happen to the movie theaters? And so I took a look at the the major producers of content today, right? The the Netflixes, the Apples, the Amazons, the, the Disney Pluses. And I thought, well, would they 
be interested perhaps in uh, purchasing an AMC or a Cinemark or a Cineplex? And if so, what would the implications be for brands out there? And from there, I, I basically took kind of what you can think of as a resource-based view of these firms where I, I thought, okay, well, what resources does Disney and, and Amazon and, and Netflix have? And uh, so the audience knows those are kind of the three companies that I think are probably most likely to purchase an AMC or a, a Cineplex down the road. I, I actually have a, a bet going with one of our uh, media planners uh, that that Disney is going to be the one to buy an AMC or a, a similar movie theater. But anyways, I, I, I took a look at the resources they have, what their competencies are, and what the end consumer benefit might be if, if Disney, for instance, were to purchase an, an AMC. Again, like it goes the separation of powers, I guess, of content producers to content distributors. That line has been fading away more and more and more, right? Mm-hmm. As time passes, bringing it back to the three points that you had, sociopolitical, medical, and economic. How do you see this playing out? In relation to... The medical area that what what I was mainly concerned about, and I think what many people are concerned about, is what happens under lockdown 2.0 in the United States. Pretty much every company right now they're they're worried about okay, well, what what's going to happen to the economy if cases get out of control as as we get into the fall and the winter, and so. For that topic specifically, I, I said, well, what other countries have already gone through this so far? And Australia has been one of them. And so, you know, the thinking there is that we'll we'll probably, without meaningful government stimulus support, right, we'll, we'll probably experience more of, of the same in terms of how we work, in terms of how we think, how we feel. And I know that there's been a lot of consumer stress, particularly financial stress in, in relation to, you know, navigating this crisis. And so mm-hmm. for brands, right, it's it's how can you, well, there are business considerations, certainly, but in terms of going to market and reaching your consumers, how can you be empathetic, I guess, as, as you go to and through that experience? I'm keeping my fingers crossed that we keep the curve flat, but that was that was the kind of thinking there. It seems like they're also merging behaviors between medical, for example, Apple. You have Apple TV, right? Uh, uh, Apple Plus, and then you have the latest innovation from Apple. It's very health oriented. So when you talk about medical and how these two worlds are merging, or an Amazon also providing and knowing whether the drugs you buy, the consume, you know. Telemedicine is also something that's growing. Do you see all of this coming oh, yeah. together and, and, yeah. and merging? Yeah, it's totally converging. I mean, I, I think what we've witnessed in, in 2020 from a consumer standpoint is just the rise of the homebody economy. We do everything at home. We work, we do yoga, we have our uh, kids yell outside our door while we're trying to <laughs> lead a workshop and it's fine and everyone you know kind of understands that at this point but the brands Amazon and Disney and Apple they're all trying to figure out okay how can we get our devices and our media platforms embedded throughout the home how can we create defensive strategies so that Amazon can't talk to Apple devices, that Apple devices can't work with other devices that that you might have. So it'd be really interesting to see how that continues to 
to shake out from that standpoint. We, we talked a little bit on this podcast about the algorithm and the news you get served based on your preferences or your inclination, your political inclinations. Mm -hmm. uh, and then if you think that some of those devices or the information that's running to those platforms also have some sort of medical input of your being, of your person, and then on top of that, you also play with the entertainment and the messaging and the content that's around that. You're really talking about a future for 2021 that it's very well defined in the pillars, but it's starting to kind of weave into each other in a war for companies like this to, to own and be part of, of your life in a very unique way, no? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And I, I think um, until there's a, a vaccine that is trusted and widely adopted, we're going to continue to see big, sudden spikes in consumer behavior that, that we'll need to be mindful of, aware of, and anticipate so that you know, as marketers, we can be more agile in terms of how, how we plan our media, how we plan our creative, how it can adapt across audiences or geographies, depending on, you know, what, what the state of the coronavirus is. And I know across the digital strategy and media planning groups, that's how we're thinking about things now. It's no longer is it are we on the yearly planning cycles? We're on the, the quarterly and depending on the brand and what their objectives are, it could be even shorter than that. Yeah. No, well, and the information you have. Also the accountability, right? As brands, of course, we're accountable or we advise our clients to be accountable for what for what we the message we're putting out there. But that was a little bit of your pillar of sociopolitical with reform of Section 230, right? There was yeah. not really accountability there. The Section 230, so for those who aren't familiar with it, what it basically, how it's been described by many journalists is as the 26 words that created the internet. It's big. So it, it, those words are, uh, and I have it written down here, it says, no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. So uh, to translate that, I guess, a little bit of legalese there, it basically means that the Twitters, the YouTubes, the Facebooks, the trip advisors of the world cannot be treated as publishers of content and thus be held liable uh, for content produced by others on the platform. So if you have people who are commenting or uh, making posts on those platforms that are inaccurate, that are hateful, harmful in any of those terms, those platforms cannot be sued over. It makes them bulletproof in a way, right? Like yeah, you can get away yeah, with anything. It enabled their their business models, right? And so, at, at this point, um, you know, when, when when you think about technology, right, it's it's neither good nor evil. It, it's kind of up to people and how people have used those platforms. And I, I think over time, you know, the the benefits, right, of a Facebook and YouTube and Google is is creative expression and sharing information with with others around the world. But at the same time, we've seen Facebook basically weaponized when it comes to uh, election processes, when it comes to private groups that are more extreme in nature. And so consumers are taking note. And at this point, lawmakers are taking note. And as we head into 2021, there have been calls to either 
repeal Section 230 in its entirety, although that's not what I think is going to happen. But there have also been calls to reform uh, Section 230, which would involve platforms either updating their algorithms, disclosing additional data on you know, how their content is being promoted and to whom, or to doing things like setting up an external audit committee so that the Facebooks and the Googles of the world can be held accountable for their, I guess, platform management practices and mm-hmm. so that they can ultimately be made a little bit more transparent in nature. That's interesting. Based on everything that has happened in the recent years, now we're able to jump into the platforms and look what ads they have run, something that was impossible to see before with dark ads running. So this has all to do with it. And it's just with so many publishers, it's so easy to be a publisher now. This is certainly a very important topic, especially when it sways opinions in, in such a passionate way. I agree. So to kind of wrap those three areas up, so we had, right, we had the medical, the socio-political, kind of the economic with uh, the paramount decrees and how those media companies are going to change their business models. Basically, and as I think back over the our past five years worth of trends, it, it's tough to put a percentage around it, but it, it feels like a majority of our trends were related to, you know, what can we do within the digital and social space? With the iPhone, right, having been put out, what was it, 2008? It created Facebook and YouTube, and it, they were crazy platforms for marketers to be able to reach and engage their audiences in, in really interesting and fun ways. And mm-hmm. now that we've had five to 10 years of that, we've, we basically know what, what can we do on these platforms. And yes, there will be you know new updates to every platform as time goes by, but as I think about the this coming decade, I think it's going to be more so a question of you know, what should we be doing on these platforms and how does it align with our brand purpose? And based off of the answer to that question, how, how can we take our brand purpose and bring it to life with consistency, with conviction and, and creativity, right? Because that, that's the industry that we're in uh, across each and every platform. So John, it seems today more than ever, ethics is takes an importance that that's incredible, right? Mm-hmm. The idea that we can create reality. One is people can get served their own reality. That is one. But now there's tools where we can create realities. You know, when we talked about augmented reality and things like that. So the ethics of those who have the power to deliver messages takes precedence mm-hmm. and, and takes an, an importance like never before. Man, we could. I think we could be talking about this forever. I think uh, it's it's important what you said at the end of, of how as a brand, uh, you know, how does it relate to you as a brand and this this evolution? I think uh, for our audience, it would be great uh, for you to look look up for this uh, digital uh, trends reports. There's really good stuff in there. Um, and I think, as we discussed, it wouldn't be a bad idea to go back and handpick a couple of them and bring back the authors to loud and clear and and talk, just talk about, you know, how things are evolving, you know, what has happened uh, uh, yeah. since the time they wrote that. Um, yeah. Do you have any other final takeaways before we wrap it up, John? Let's see. So, no, I, I, I think that what you just mentioned, Francisco, is great because the the trends that that I analyzed right that that we wrote about they're all operating on different time horizons there there are some that really matter in the coming year but there are some that 
will matter in that year and continue to matter. So, you know, per your your point, I, I think there are, are a couple of really good trends that we've we've already documented, but are still coming to fruition in, in really interesting ways. So, yeah, excited to hear more on the, on the podcast as you bring folks back on in the future. Yeah, and, and and also I think something cool that you did at the end of your presentation is you kind of invited us as your uh, audience to think up, you know, what other trends are we seeing? Uh, what is happening? Certainly from our clients' perspective or even not even the world of marketing, just whatever field you work on or, or you live every day, it's important to hear what do you see happening? What is going to come doing the exercise that John did would be a good one. This is going to spark questions if anybody wants to reach out to you linkedin would probably be best for me yeah so john it would be uh www.linkedin.com slash in slash john stale and john stale that's uh john and then s-t-a-l-l-e right that's no right accent. this was john stale we are super thankful that you've been a guest here in loud and clear i am your host francisco cardenas and rolf reese is your producer Please find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe and comment. We would love to hear from you. You can also find us, uh, find this podcast on the web at lermaagency.com. Until next time, this has been, again, John Stale with a look to the future of content through the lens of the Richards Group Digital Trends Report. John, thank you so much, man. You're the coolest. I appreciate you. Thank you.